So how many of you guys were actually maybe expecting like a rocket science kind of message tonight or like a, a creation science message here. So yeah, I, I, I do work for Answers in Genesis. I've been around um, this area since November. So me and the family moved, moved out here from uh, Arizona. So quite the change coming out here, but it's been fun. Um, but yeah, Roe v. Wade fell. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's a good day, right? So just quick poll here. How many of you guys were actually alive after 1973, after Roe v. Wade was passed? Raise your hands. Okay. Okay. And how many of you guys were born before 1973, Roe v. Wade? Okay. And how many of you guys just don't like the raise your hand, period? <laughs> or just you just don't want to date yourself, right? You don't want to say how old you really are. Um, really, I mean, this is definitely a time of celebration. Of course, we saw the, the June 24th, that passing. And, um, yeah, we, we definitely need to rejoice here because since 1973, the latest statistic says 63 million innocent children, that's defenseless, voiceless children have been murdered in America, and that's only probably just assuming surgical abortions. That's probably not even uh, counting the chemical abortions that's, that are out there, so that number's probably way higher than that 63 million. So really, you know, at the same time, while we're, we are rejoicing that essentially the Supreme Court is realigning now with God's word, with God's standards, let's ask for forgiveness, right? Let's ask for forgiveness from our Lord for the innocent blood that's on our hands. And let's ask for just a heart of repentance that we don't go back to this. Because, you know, we should be mourning that it took this million innocent lives to actually reverse this wicked opinion. And for, for you guys that don't know, uh, this Supreme Court opinion was actually, it was never a constitutional right in the beginning with, okay? It wasn't actually a law of the land like they say all the time. You hear from, from a lot of people, Roe v. Wade was law of the land, the law of the land, right? But really... It was a fallacious and it was an unbiblical court opinion from the very beginning. And you can see evidence of that today. You see with, with the liberal left today with the Biden-Harris administration, what are they doing right now? They're scrambling to try to codify Roe into law because they know it wasn't law. We live in a nation where Congress makes law, not the judicial branch, not the Supreme Court. So really it was just only an opinion at, at best, and that's all it was. So really... What they did is, is what they said they did is they basically gave it back to the states, right? So they gave it back to the states to be able to determine whether or not they want to prohibit abortion or, you know, states like New York, California, um, and very, very sadly, they want to go all the way up to full term. So they, that's basically what they said. But really, if you guys look at it, the states have always had that. They've always had that ability to be able to establish justice for the preborn. So one of the things that you guys are going to hear a lot, of course, is, is from the pro-life movement. You're, you're going to hear this. Um, we basically went from one battle to 50 battles, right? You hear that all the time. But really, it's always been 50 battles. It's always been at the state level, of course. It's always been up to the states to do not only the right but the duty before God to establish justice for the preborn. It always has been and will continue to be. But at the same time, I mean, we, we, we can at least praise God, right? Let's praise God that, that the states no longer have that excuse to be able to say that they have to bow down to the imaginary law of the land, which, which never was um, basically in the first place. But really, guys, this is the number one issue in, in our world today. I looked it up. 43 million children were killed by abortion worldwide in 2021 alone. That's one year. 43 million children. There's over 11 million people that live in the state of Ohio here. So that's nearly four times. Imagine Ohio, the entire population, four times over in just one year. So this really is the wickedness that we're having to deal with worldwide today. Um, and it really is just an American holocaust that we're, that we're living in. And 
And I'm sure you guys are all aware of what the Bible actually says, what God's word actually says, of course, in terms of abortion, um, in terms of murder. So I won't belabor that point too much. But Isaiah 520, that's one of the verses I always think about when I always think about this type of issue. And I'm sure you guys know this one. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, right? Woe to those who substitute light for darkness, darkness for light, sweet for bitter, bitter for sweet. Translate that to this situation here. Woe to those who call the destruction of little boys and girls health care. Woe to those who call the slaughter of little children reproductive rights. It's not health care. This is not reproductive rights. This is murder. This is child sacrifice at its simplest, right? I mean, let's think biblically here. You're, you're, you're going to hear me say that a lot tonight. Let's think biblically, okay? Answers in Genesis, if you guys are familiar with our ministry at all, we always talk about the biblical goggles, right, the biblical lens. Let's always look at everything with that biblical framework. So let's think about this biblically. This is child sacrifice at its simplest. It's really child sacrifice to the God of self, to the God of convenience, really to the God of comfort. As you think about the reasons, I mean, I've heard all the different excuses on why someone would want to murder their child. And it always goes back to that one convenience or that happiness, basically. We live in a nation today where the happiness of the mother is more important than the life of that child. We're seeing that over and over again. Um, it's really the modern-day Moloch, and it's really the crown jewel of Satan. That's what it is, because it's the destruction of image bearers of God. Because you think about Genesis chapter 3, go back to the very beginning. What did, what, what did Satan try to tempt Eve with? He said, did God really say? Did God really say, right? So he, he tried to get Eve to, to doubt God's word. He's using the same tactic today by saying, did God really say that all children are blessings from the Lord, that they're gifts from God? They're like arrows in the hands of a warrior. I always tell people, especially if they're, if they're a father, who wouldn't, want, who wouldn't want more arrows in their quiver before they go into battle, right? I mean, that's what Psalm 127 says. Um, but instead, Satan tries to deceive us, basically saying that, you know, children are burdens, they're financial burdens, you have to have all the right pieces together, you have to have enough money in the bank, you got to have the right living situation, you hear that over and over again, right? So this really is the crown jewel of Satan, and he is willing to fight with all he has to be able to do this. Um, in Proverbs 6, 17, I'm sure you guys know this one as well, God hates the hand that shed innocent blood. Hearts that devise wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil. And you think about those three things. That's what's happening at abortion mills every single day. Of course, we're seeing the innocent blood that's being spilt. But we're also seeing the hearts that devise wicked plans, right? The mothers and fathers, before they even walk through those doors, they've already devised a wicked plan in their heart. And their feet are haste to run to evil. We were just at the abortion mill yesterday in Cincinnati, and we saw this with a young black woman, black mother that actually came up, and she was desperate to get an abortion. She was coming right up to us saying, you know, if you can't tell me where I can go to get my service, to be able to kill my child, I don't want to talk to you. Like, she was in a hurry. You could tell on her heart, her feet were haste to run to evil. But really, guys, let's, let's, let's think biblically about this, of course. So what's the, what's the battle plan for the church, right? So post-Roe, Post everything that we've seen, post June 24th here, what's, what, what's our focus moving forward, right? So it's the same thing we've always been doing. We need to keep fighting, right? The war is still going. Amen, hallelujah, Roe Ro v. Wade has, has at least gone out of the way, but we need to keep fighting. We need to keep fighting. The war is still going. Um, and really, like I read in Proverbs 24, rescue those being taken away to death. Pull back those stumbling to the slaughter. Those are our marching orders, really. Let's, let's think biblically about this. Um, so one of the ways we can do that, of course, is we go out to the abortion mill. Uh, we're out there every second and third Saturday of the month. We go to the one in Cincinnati. That is the surgical center. It's, it's, it's essentially the number one center in the state of Ohio where all the surgical abortions go to. They are open every second, third Saturday of the month. 
Um, and basically, we're out there to preach the gospel, right? That's our number one goal, preach the gospel. And it's to be out there. They call it what it is. We call it abortion murder because that's what it is. And we offer these mothers help, right? So every single mother going in there, we offer them adoption. Um, we offer to pay for their medical expenses, whatever it is. We, we, we try our, to do our best to, to essentially give them the word of God and to, and to help them because that's what true love does, right? True love points to the only hope of forgiveness that is through Jesus Christ. And that's why we're out there. And last I checked, abortion in Ohio is still legal. So the death camps are still open. So we would love to have you guys come out. Um, if you guys want to learn more about what it takes to actually come out to the abortion mill, you can come talk to me afterwards. End Abortion Now, if you guys want to write that down, that's a good website you can go to. It has a lot of good training resources. There's like 900 churches, I think, that we've signed up now. I've been involved with End Abortion Now for um, at least a few years now. And it's a really good resource to be able to get your... Basically, just jump right in, right? So, and, and how to start a ministry, what, what it looks like to be effective, of course. And, and really, that's, that's what it comes down to. We not only want to be effective, but we want to be faithful, right? We hear all the time is, is you're going out to these abortion mills. What are you actually accomplishing, right? You, you, you hear that all the time. But really, um, the pragmatic, you know, if, if you just kind of put that aside for a second, it, are we being faithful? Are we going out there? Are we preaching the kingdom? Are we standing up for these innocent lives? Imagine... Imagine we were in the, in, in the 1940s living in Nazi Germany, and you had Auschwitz right down the street, right? And you were just thinking, well, what point is there to actually go there to try to help these people? So just kind of keep that in mind there. Um, so as you guys are thinking about this, as you guys are thinking about what you're doing throughout the week, how can I be helping, of course? And even if you're not physically able to come out to the abortion mill or you have other stuff going on, everyone's situation is different. Of course, I, I totally understand that. Even if you can't come out, at least pray for us, right? Prayer is a powerful weapon. Pray for us that go out there. Pray for our protection. Pray for our wisdom out there, of course, because this really is the gates of hell you're going to because, like I said, this is the crown jewel of Satan. So when you're out there, it is the gates of hell. But what does the Bible say? The Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against our assaults. So that's what we, that's what we hope for. Um, let me go ahead and turn you now to Isaiah chapter 1. Let's go ahead and read those uh, few verses here real quick. This is a really good one to anchor ourselves on in terms of um, what we should be doing as Christians, as a church here. Prophet Isaiah was, uh, was of course, uh, talking to the um, Israelites in Jerusalem here. But he says here, starting in verse 12, When you come to appear before me, who has required of you this trampling in my courts, bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. This, by the way, is the ESV. Hopefully you guys aren't KJV people here. <laughs> New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. Uh, that, that's probably just a sidestep, but I remember I was, I was t talking one time in, in terms of the KJV, and they, they got all upset. I was using ESV. But, um, I cannot endure iniquity in solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am wary of burying them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. So right there you see, we are to bring justice to the fatherless. And really you think about it, the children being led to these abortion mills, they are fatherless because they have been abandoned by their father. They have been abandoned by their parents, really. So we are the correct oppression to bring justice for them. But look, right before that, God actually says, all of your offerings, I hate them because your hands are full of blood. I will not listen to them. 
remove the evil of your deeds from before our eyes. So that really should be a calling for us. We need to be focusing on this because we need to be seeking justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, the ones that are truly innocent, the ones that are truly defenseless in this situation. And so, what, and so we talked about going out to the abortion, right? That's step number one. Step number two is we need to also be getting involved in politics, right? So that's one of those words you think, oh, Christians in politics, should Christians even be involved in politics, right? Just preach the gospel, preach the gospel. Yes, that is important. We need to continue to preach the gospel. The, of course, like, like what was the same Romans one? Power of God unto salvation, right? It is the power of God. But really, you think about it, what is politics? Politics is legislated morality, right? Legislated morality. So you have to ask the question, whose morality do you want? Is it God's morality or is it man's morality is what it comes down to. And, you know, it's not enough just to vote pro-life. Of course, it is important that we continue to vote pro-life. Of course, going forward, we need to make sure that we do because it's very possible all of the stuff that we've been seeing over the last few years could quickly turn if we get the wrong people in office. So you have to, of course, make sure you're voting pro-life still. But also, we need to get involved, right? Um, one of the things I want to make sure you guys are going to get away from this, if you guys checked out, come on back in. One thing I want you to remember is that there's no neutrality, right? Neutrality is a myth. You guys can write that down. If you guys get anything away from this entire message, just remember that. Neutrality is a myth. And unfortunately, too many of us Christians have bought into that myth of neutrality. We've, we've essentially abandoned politics and gave it over to the state, what's called secular humanism. We've allowed that to basically take over our politics, and we're seeing that legislated morality today. So really, it, it comes back to salt and light, right? We're called to be salt and light in the culture. And a lot of the times, I think most of us, we think of salt as something that just flavors food, you know, kind of makes things more palatable. But if you think about it, how it was used back then, it was used as a preservative. It preserved things from decaying. So really, when our Lord Jesus Christ tells us to be the salt of the earth, we are called to culture to keep it from decaying, right? So my, my old pastor, Jeff, um, used to say it all the time this way. He used to say that the culture is the report card of the church, right? Culture is the report card of the church. How are we doing? Obviously not good. We're, li we're living today in a culture of death. It's time for us to continue to be that salt and also be that light, right? We need to go out there being the light to expose the darkness, and that's what we can do. Um, so it's obvious from Scripture, Jesus is king over everything. Amen? Amen. He's, he's the king. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Are you not just believing that in your head? Are you actually acting on that, knowing that Jesus Christ is the king of kings? Is he the Lord of lords now who's reigning at the right hand of God, God the Father, like it says in Psalm 110, making all of his enemies a footstool for his feet, that he rules in the midst of his enemies. So we see that throughout and throughout the New Testament, the Old Testament. You know, of course, the New Testament, we see Romans 13, which I'm sure with all the COVID nonsense, everyone knows Romans 13 now, right? So in terms of what the government's role is, but actually it's a prescriptive role of what the government should be doing. The government should be basically comes down to two basic things. It's to punish evildoers and to protect the innocent, right? And they do those two things under who? Under God. God is their authority. And so God essentially says in Romans 13, Paul, the Apostle Paul says, the government, the state, is to be God's deacon, essentially, God's servant, to be able to enact, to be able to use the sword. Matthew 28 as well, the, the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me on, in heaven and on earth. Past tense, by the way. He already has the authority. He's already reigning, guys. 
already has that past tense by the time he says these words. So therefore, go baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to do what? Teaching them to obey, to observe all that I have commanded you, to, to essentially teach them God's law, to teach them how to obey the law of God. And so New Testament, Old Testament as well, Psalm chapter 2 is a really good example of that, basically talking about um, the Father says to the Son, um, ask of me the nations, the ends of the, of the earth, I will give them to you, just ask. And one of the things I used to always hear, forget who said it, but basically, um, do you think Jesus forgot to ask? Do you think he forgot to ask the Father for the nations? No, of course not. He, he has the nations now, and Psalm chapter 2 says, O kings, O rulers, obey the Son. Basically, he says, kiss the Son, lest you perish. So, that's really what we're seeing today, amen, with the United States of America today. We're seeing this nation underneath judgment with the millions of innocent children that have been slaughtered. We're seeing that. We're seeing the judgment happen on our, on our hands today. Um, Psalm 110, 1, like I just said, Isaiah chapter 2, talking about all the nations flowing up to Mount Zion, that, that they, they're waiting for his law. Isaiah chapter 9, the government is resting on his shoulders. Uh, his government will have no end. Isaiah 42, that the coastlands wait for his Torah, wait for his law. You guys can always go back and read these later just, 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 just to kind of give you like guys, guys a quick gist of, of, of what I'm going for here. Basically, all of Christ for all of life. That's what it comes down to, right? That's something Doug Wilson says all the time. All of Christ for all of life. And are we really basing ourselves on? Are we really believing that and putting that into action? And... Um, I think I'm running out of time here, so I'm, I'm going to kind of speed through some of this stuff here. But essentially one of the misconceptions you hear a lot is in terms of ch separation of church and state, right? So if you guys want to learn more about that, go look up Abraham Kuyper. Look up some of his works on sphere sovereignty, what that looks like, and, and just understanding what that means in, ter in terms of the church and the state. What are the proper relationships between those? But the bottom line here is this. I want to make sure you guys just walk away with this. Um, he says, when the state fails to do its job, we, the church, it's our duty to remind them of their duty before God, right? So when the, when the state starts failing in their duty, it's our duty to remind them to obey God. If you think about John 19.11, when uh, during the trial of Jesus, Jesus says to Pilate, you would have no authority over me at all unless it has been given to you from above. I think that's a pretty good example we should be following here. So what does that look like practically? Practically, that looks like as citizens of Ohio, hold your state representatives accountable, right? Just do a quick search. Go online. Just see who your legislators are, who is your state senator, who's your state rep. Um, see who they claim to be. Do they claim to be pro-life? Do they claim to want to protect the unborn? And if they do, if so, challenge them on that. Continue reminding them of that, of their promise, of their oath to actually create a truly pro-life bill. And if they're not, Treat them as any other um, unbeliever. Tell them to repent and preach the gospel to them. And actually, last Monday, speaking of uh, bills here, as of July 11th, State Representative Gary Click, uh, he introduced House Bill 704. So be praying for this man here. House Bill 704. There's not many details here in terms of what it actually does, but it looks like from the small amount of wording, it's going to be banning abortion from the moment of conception. Amen. Um, so just be praying for this man that it's only been introduced, so it still has to go through the committee, through the House, through the Senate, and all that. But um, um, it's the moment of conception is what he's saying. So, of course, we have to make sure that he's going to be able to define what that means because a lot of the times, I don't know if you're familiar, but the word conception has actually been changed um, not too long ago. It used to mean the moment of fertilization, right, with the mother's DNA, the father's DNA, they combined to create a new human being. 
Jacob's dream, which really is the actual meaning of conception, but recently it was changed to mean implantation of the uterine walls. So be curious what, what that actually looks like, of course. And um, So it's from the moment of conception with no exceptions except for the life of the mother, mother of course. And um, and so cur- currently Ohio has the, her- the, the heartbeat bill, the six-week ban, which I'm sure you guys have all um, heard about in, in effect ever since Roe fell. Um, so right now, the plan is, I think, if this bill, House Bill 704, does pass, it will supersede the heartbeat bill, which is very important. It needs to do that. But if this bill um, does go into effect, it, it's looking like it's not going to go into effect till possibly early 2023 or even summer 2023. So until that happens, our work is not done. Uh, we still need to have boots on the ground. We need to be going out to the abortion mills, of course, and preaching the gospel, helping these mothers until that happens. Um, but a truly pro-life bill, what does that actually look like, if you guys are, in case you guys are wondering here? So just a few key parts of what a pro-life bill actually needs to look like. Like we talked about, it needs to protect the child from the moment of fertilization, right? The moment of true conception, when the mother's DNA, the father's DNA, they combine to create a new, unique human being that will never be reproduced ever again. That unique blueprint will never be reproduced ever again. There's no new information that's added from that point. Simple biological science but ultimately, it's the biblical truth, right, that we base it off of. Psalm 127, we talked about that earlier. All children are blessings from the Lord, gifts from God, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Psalm 139, like our brother Will was, was reading earlier, fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. So no child is ever a mistake, no boy or girl is ever an accident. And of course, Genesis 127, made in the image of God, right? Every child in the womb is made in the image of God, and that's why they are deserving of protection from that moment of fertilization. And so, logically speaking, the next point is we need to provide equal justice, equal protection to that life in the womb. We need to treat it as homicide. So you think about it, if a two-year-old, a child outside the womb, if something were to happen to them, right, they were to get killed, what would be the punishment for that versus inside the womb? Right? Think about the consistency there. If we're saying that there's a, there's a worse punishment for the two-year-old or the four-year-old or the six-year-old, but not the, one month, not the multiple months or whatever it is in the womb, that really exposes our bias there. So it's got to be equal protection, equal justice for the child inside the womb, outside the womb. So as you guys are talking to your state representatives, make sure that they are aware of that. Um, the next one is no exceptions for rape or incest or any possible abnormalities or um, deformities. Really, no cracks in the door is what it comes down to. And that might sound like a harsh thing, but really, um, and, and, and you think about, th- this This is what the pro-death community, I, I say pro-death, by the way, it's not pro-choice because it's never a choice to murder a child. It is pro-death, it is pro-abortion. The pro-death community, they say that all the time. They say, what about the mother is raped, if the mother's raped, right? What do you do then? And really, that's, that's basically a heartstring argument is what they're trying to go for. And usually my, my normal response to that is, okay, so let's have abortions just for rape then. Are you okay with that? No, of course not. They'll say, no, I, I want it for any cause, any time, any reason. But really, if we, if we just take the emotion out of it just for a second and we look at it, do we ever give the death penalty to the victim, the truly innocent victim for a crime, right? Do we put to death the child for the crime of the father. Actually, it's quite the opposite. The Bible says you are to put to death the father for the crime in order to protect the innocent child. So really, and also if you just think about it a different way here, 
um, in terms of the of the rape argument, you know, usually most people will say rape is, is a horrible thing because you're taking advantage of another person's body, right? So it's the exact same thing in abortion. You're taking advantage of another person's body, of another child when you're when you're destroying them. So basically, that's that's one of the things I always like to bring up is whenever the pro death community brings up that rape argument, I say, well, thank you for that very pro-life Christian argument of, of, of yours there. Um, and and ultimately, like I was talking about before, a bill of abolition, a truly uh, pro-life bill, needs to supersede all previous unbiblical, unjust pro-life bills. So what do I mean by that? So if you guys are familiar with the whole incremental versus abolition movement here, um, I don't like those terms. I like to use just unjust versus just or righteous versus unrighteous, of course. But if you guys aren't, aren't familiar with the term abolition, it basically stems back to the anti-slavery abolition movement that happened in the West. Um, you were seeing the Christian abolitionists. They were the ones pressing it. They were the ones defeating slavery in the West. It wasn't the gradualists, by the way. So back then you had the gradualists and you had the abolitionists. You had the ones that wanted to gradually remove slavery bit by bit, piece by piece peace rather than the ones that actually wanted to abolish it. And you think about just Roe as well, the, the whole unconstitutional Dred Scott decision, of course, talking about blacks being properties, blacks being um, not citizens. And you, we just praise God that that one also got reversed in the same way with Roe Ro v. Wade as well. Um, very similar chant as well. You think about it. Back then they were saying um, with, with all the ones that were pro-slavery, they were saying less than human, my property, my choice. If you don't like slavery, don't have one. That's actually the exact same thing the pro-death community is saying today. They're saying the children in the womb are less than human. Uh, my body, my choice. If you don't like abortion, don't have one, right? So you kind of seen that similarity there. So that's essentially where they got the word abolition from. It was going back to the anti-slavery movement. And actually, if we look back, we see how wicked the gradualists were, the ones that actually wanted to gradually reduce slavery. We see how wicked they were in history. Whereas today, 100 100 years from now, 200 years from now, I just pray that, you know, us, our history looks back and we see these incremental bills in the same light as well. Um, and so one popular example, of course, we talked about it, is the heartbeat bill. Is the heartbeat bill. So if you guys are familiar, it's, it's essentially when the baby's heartbeat is detected around five to six weeks. And no, this is not to say that these pro-life efforts don't have good intentions of saving lives, right? And it likely will save lives, but really we have to remember, our, we have to remind ourselves good intentions don't always guarantee right action. So remember, we got to think biblically about these kind of laws. Um, and like I was saying, you know, the, the heartbeat bill might also save some lives, but this is a crooked stick, right? It's a crooked stick, which only God can strike, strike straight blows with. But of course, we don't go around looking for crooked sticks, right? We want something that's actually biblically effective and biblically sound. Um, so just to help you guys with some basic critical thinking skills, if we think about these unjust kind of pro-life bills like the heartbeat bill, imagine like a hypothetical case, right? We had a sex trafficking bill that went in. And the sex trafficking bill said you can sex traffic. It's not allowed before the child's 10 years old, but you can do it after 10 years old, right? Okay, so you can prohibit sex trafficking before 10 years old. After 10 years old, you're free to do it. You think about how biblically unjust and immoral that would be, right? But essentially that is the same logic with a lot of these incremental bills. Basically you're saying that you can kill these children, but not these ones, right? So um, Isaiah chapter 10, verse 1 through 2, um, if you guys want to 
jump over there real quick here, or you guys can just, just listen to me as well if you don't want to jump over here. Well, to those who decree iniquis, iniquitous decrees and the writers of who keep writing oppression, to turn aside the needy from justice and to rob the poor of my people of their rights, that widows may be their spoil and that they may make the fatherless their prey. For, and then Proverbs twenty twenty three as well. Unequal weights, i.e. Par partiality, are an abomination to the Lord. Essentially saying these can die, but not these. That's called partiality. That's called unequal weights. And what does God see? God sees this as an iniquitous, an abomination to him. Basically trying to say that we're going to try to regulate murder. We're going to say how and when it's acceptable. So the bottom line is, how does God actually see these bills, these pro-life bills? He sees them as unjust and unrighteous. And one thing I want you guys to walk away with is this. He will hold us accountable for these wicked decrees. In other words, if the day of judgment were to come tomorrow, right, and we have all of these wicked kind of unjust pro-life bills, these heartbeat bills that are out there, if the day of judgment were to come tomorrow, how would we answer God for these iniquitous decrees? That's why we say we cannot fail in establishing true biblical justice for our pre-born, truly fatherless uh, neighbors here. Really, it's not about what works, right? You hear that all the time. They, they say, well, let's just save at least some lives. Let's do something that at least works. But are you doing something that works or are you doing something that's faithful? Are you doing something that's right before God? Um, just to give you another example here, I just came from Arizona, and the pro-life establishment there decided to make a new bill called the Down Syndrome Bill. Basically said um, that you can't kill children by abortion because of Down Syndrome. But really, you think about the ineffectiveness of that. How do you get around that? The mother just has to say, I'm not killing it because it has Down Syndrome. I'm killing it because I hate it. And that's what it comes down to. So essentially, a lot of these bills are not just um, unbiblical, unjust, but they're also ineffective. And they just don't work. So that's why we need to continue to fight for truly pro-life bills here. Um, you, you might be thinking, what's the cause of all this? Well, at the root, this is the result of the pro-life industry. I, I call it industry, by the way, because that's what it is. A lot of these pro-life groups today, they're in, there, in it just for the money because it's a million, multi-million dollar kind of funding that they're getting every single year. So it's, it's, it's a big business. It's a big industry. But really, it's adopting the myth of neutrality like I talked about before. It's the myth of neutrality that these pro-life groups are adopting it's not only that, but pragmatism, right? They're trying to adopt pragmatism over biblical authority. Essentially, you have groups saying today, um, you can just look up some of the quotes. They basically say, direct quotes, we can set aside our Bibles is what they say. Let's set aside our Bibles. Let's get rid of no biblical foundation. We don't need any of that. Let's just focus on the science. Let's focus on the evidence. Let's just give the embryology to the mothers. We don't need the Bible. We don't need Christianity for any of that. Really, guys, this is their fatal flaw. This is the fatal flaw of many, many pro-life groups today. It is the abandonment of biblical foundation today. In the pro-life industry, they also refuse to call it murder. They refuse to call abortion murder. And really, it just exposes their true beliefs, I think, in their motives, at, in their heart. I don't think they really believe what they're actually saying. So all that to say, be careful on where you guys are sending your money, where you guys are sending your dollars to. Are you sending your dollars to one of these pro-life groups? that aren't standing on, on the Bible, that aren't standing on biblical authority. Just take a look at that. Because biblically speaking, Romans chapter 2, what does that say? That says all of our hearts have God's law written on them, right? We have a conscience, which means with knowledge. Con means with. Science means knowledge. So we all have the knowledge of right and wrong. We have knowledge of good and evil. We don't have to have society teach us these things. We don't have to have our parents 
teach us these things. So essentially the mother walking into an abortion mill, she already intuitively knows that killing her innocent child is wrong. She already knows that by her conscience, written on her heart. But what does she do? She suppresses that truth in unrighteousness. She trades the truth about God for the lie of the culture. And that's what we're seeing. Anyone who spent time at, at, at an abortion mill, um, inclu including Will or anyone else, we know this fact, sadly, all too well. Um, it is a hard fact to see that um, month after month, week after week, especially in, in Arizona here, um, uh, I, I would see mothers week after week that would, we would present the case to them, right? We would say, here's all the science, here's all the biology that proves that your child is truly a baby. We would show them all the scripture. We would say, look, your child is tremendously precious from the moment of conception. And what do they say to that? They say, I know, I believe all that. I believe the science, I believe the scripture, but I don't care. And they'll say, I still have the right to kill my innocent child. And that's what it comes down to. Um, so you hear that over and over again when we're at the abortion mill. Um, and at, at, at the same time, there are certain t times where the science does work, you know, where we actually do pro provide the evidence. But really, that's a crooked stick, right? And we praise God for when that happens, like when, it, when a mother actually learns about the information, she decides to choose life, we praise God for that. That's a crooked stick, and that is a rare exception, just from my own experience. So I always think about the pro-life, the typical pro-lifer today. What, what, what are they going to say to that mother, the one that says, I don't care, I have the right to kill that child? Are they going to keep pressing the evidence? Are they going to keep pressing the science? Are they going to keep trying to prove to the mother that the child truly is a child? Or are they going to open up their Bible? Are they going to open up the scripture like they should have? from the very beginning. Because here, here's the thing, guys. One thing I wanted you guys to also walk away with is this. Um, if you guys checked out, come on back now. Mothers trying to kill their child don't have a knowledge problem. They have a heart problem. Okay, I want you guys to remember that. Mothers walking into abortion mills today, they don't have a knowledge problem. It's not about the science. It's not about providing the knowledge to them. They have a heart problem. Right? That's just basic Christianity 101. Romans chapter 3, what does it say? No one is good. No, not one. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Jeremiah 17, 9, our hearts are deceitful and wicked. Who can know them? And it's actually very contrary to what the typical pro-life establishment actually says today, the industry says today. They basically say these mothers are good. They're basically good, and they're just victims of the system. They're victims of their environment, right? Basically transferring the, tr the, the fault from themselves to this nameless kind of kind of faceless kind of system out that's out there. And that's what the pro-life establishment is doing today. So they are completely unbiblical to its core in terms of their core message that's going out here. So one of the things I want to leave you guys with today is when you guys are looking at these pro-life bills, make sure we're not just criminalizing the abortion doctor, the abortion, I, I hate calling it doctor because really it's, it's basically an assassin. We need to be criminalizing the abortion assassin, of course, right? We need to make sure that they're not going to be able to continue with the killing, but we need to also make sure that we're criminalizing the parent. We need to be criminalizing the mother and the father. Remember, let's, let's think biblically about this, okay? Especially the father, if the father is present. A lot of the times when we're at the abortion mill, we see the father, if the father is there present, we call out to them directly. Because what is the father's job? The father's job is to protect that family. His job is to protect that child and to not lead them to the slaughter. So we're constantly calling out to them if possible. But Sadly, it's, it's, it's most of the time we just see the mothers out there. So usually we're trying to talk to them. 
but essentially it's this idea from the pro-life industry that says uh, mothers are victimized. They're the second victim of the system, basically shifting that blame like we talked about. But really, guys, let's think about it, brothers and sisters. Victim of the system idea, is that coming from the Bible or is that coming from culture? Where is that idea coming from? If you think biblically about this, it's pretty clear. If you think about the same approach where, let's say a mother actually decides she's just hurting on her finances one, one month and she just can't afford to have her child anymore, so she takes her one-year-old and drowns them, right? What's the punishment going to be for that? Is she a victim of that system in that situation? No, obviously not. If we take that logical conclusion, no, we're being inconsistent if we try to say that. Um, but essentially, that's, that is the logic of the pro-life industry today. And aside from the biblical uh, commitment that they don't take, this is the most serious flaw in the pro-life industry that we see today. And of course, that's not to say that mothers are never victims, right? There are certain cases where a mother is being forced to have that abortion um, by lethal force or whatever it is that might be. But that is the exception. That's not the rule. That is a very rare case. Um, over 98% of the time, if you look up the statistics, it is for some kind of a selfish reason. And so they are not victims. They are not victims. But really, the real issue behind this whole victim mentality, though, is it roadblocks the gospel. If you think about it, by telling these mothers, it's not your fault, sweetie. It's not your fault. You're basically saying there's no transgression of God's law. But if there's no sin, there's no gospel, right? If you don't have Mount Sinai, you don't have Mount Calvary. If you don't have sin in there, you can just make up whatever you want for sin, right? By what standard you have to go back on, by what standard for that sin. So essentially these mothers, they fail to experience true forgiveness and true repentance. Because if you're telling them you, you did nothing wrong in this, you were a victim of the system, it destroys the gospel itself. And that's why it's so important that we remember these things. And like the Bible says, uh, real love does not conceal the truth. We don't soften its impact. We don't soften the impact of truth, but rejoices with the truth. So true love rejoices with the truth. And this honestly is one of the biggest challenges that we see from the pro-life industry today. On a lot of these, these abolition bills, there was actually an open letter that was drafted on May 12, 2022. If you guys have heard about the Louisiana abolition bill that went in, it got killed because of the pro-life industry. Basically, it was a bill that said, from the moment of conception, we need to provide equal justice protection for these children in the state of Louisiana. It got killed because of pro-life organizations. Basically, they sent out the coalition letter right here. I'll read just a few quotes for you guys here that says, uh, the tragedy of abortion isn't limited to the unborn ch child who loses her life. The mother who aborts her child is also Rose's victim. Women's, women are victims of abortion. As national and state pro-life organizations representing tens of millions of pro-life men, women, and children across the country, let us be clear. We state unequivocally that we do not support any measure seeking to criminalize or punish women, and we stand firmly opposed to such penalties and legislation. Um, they also say here in a few parts, they say, we are called to act with love, compassion, as we seek fairness, justice, liberty for unborn children and their mothers. Criminalizing women is antithetical to this charge. We will continue to oppose legislative policy initiatives that criminalize women who seek abortions. We urge you to reject any measure that seeks to criminalize women who have abortion. And you see that right there, right? They think that they're providing love and compassion to these women, but they're actually doing the opposite. They're doing harm to them by allowing them to be deceived with this lie that they're not guilty, that they're just innocent, that they're just a victim of the system. 
and then if you guys are familiar with Marxism at all, it's very, very similar to Marxism, essentially saying that it's, it's the systemic racism, right? It's, the, it's a system, just blame the system. It's not the people, um, completely anti-biblical to the core there. But I always think about this, the pro-life industry, what are they going to say to the mothers, right? So after all of the abortion doctors, the, the assassins are out of business, they're not performing anymore, what are they going to say to the mothers that start doing the DIY abortions, the do-it-yourself abortions in their own homes, like they have for thousands of years, right? For a long time before Planned Parenthood was around, this is how women did it, mothers did it. And in, the, in, the, in, the, in church history, you look it up, the church has always had the same stance. We've always seen mothers who kill their children as murderers. Because remember, we've got to think biblically about this. So if a mother decides to take a potion or a tranquilizer of some sort at her own home, what are you going to say to that mother? Is she still a victim of the system? You know, are, are, is, is, she, is she guilty of anything? Um, so one of the quotes I, I like from Pastor Zach here from End Abortion Now, he basically says, the pro-life industry believes abortion should be legal legal they just don't believe the abortionists should be the ones allowed to do the killing and this may come come, come as a surprise it it did for me as well um basically seeing these pro-life groups basically saying that um they have quotes saying that they want to make abortion unthinkable they want to make abortion unimaginable right but they want to keep it they never say that they want to make it illegal because they want to always make sure that they're penalizing the abortionist not the one that actually brings it. So you think about it, right? So the, these abortion assassins, they're not running up and down the streets looking for children to kill, right? They're sitting in their air-conditioned unit buildings, and they're waiting for the parents. They're waiting for the mothers to hand their baby over to be slaughtered. So you think about it that way. Um, and on the last page of this letter here, you see a whole bunch of different people. I think there was like over 70 different people that actually signed this letter. Uh, there's people from New Wave Feminists, from Secular Pro-Life. I always think about what fellowship has light with darkness here. Um, and, yeah, National Right to Life, of course, that's the big one that we see over and over again. Kentucky Right to Life, sign this. Um, here in the state, Ohio Right to Life. Uh, the, the president of, of Ohio Right to Life signed this as well. So, basically, this letter killed the Louisiana Abolition Bill that would have established equal justice for all of our preborn neighbors. So just be aware of that, guys. Um, just a few verses I want to leave you with as well. Proverbs seventeen fifteen says, Acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent are both an abomination to the Lord. Right? So we always say amen to the condemning of the innocent, but the quitting of the guilty is just an abomination to the Lord. So by saying that you're acquitting the mother... That is an abomination, just like condemning the innocent child in that case. Proverbs 18.5 says, Showing partiality to the wicked is not good, nor is this depriving the innocent of justice. And here's the kicker, Proverbs 24.24. 24. Whoever says to the guilty, you are innocent, will be cursed by people and denounced by nations. So anyone that says that the mother is innocent and not guilty in these cases, they're cursed. Like it says in, in the word of God, they're denounced. So really... Let's get back to thinking biblically about this. That's, that's my whole message. Is I want to make sure that we're thinking about the pro-life industry, the pro-life movement today. Let's think biblically about this. Let's not take a, a pragmatic approach to it. Let's not bow down to what the secular culture is trying to say. Let's think biblically about these things. So really, the bottom line here is this. Ending abortion doesn't begin with a Supreme Court decision. It begins with the church refusing the power and fear. 
like we said in Proverbs 124, rescue those being led to death, hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. It is our marching orders, guys. It is, it is the church brothers and sisters that have to raise up. It's not going to be the Supreme Court that's ultimately going to defeat anything. It's the church rising up. It's the church getting involved. It's the church becoming the salt and light again that it has been for hundreds of years. Right? You think about a lot of the foundation, the founding fathers of this nation as well. That was their attitude. That was their attitude of transforming this nation to obey God. And really what it comes down to is, the church needs to stop hiding behind its four walls. We need to speak truth into this culture of death again. And it also begins with the pastors as well. I'm sure you guys as elders are doing great here. But unfortunately, a lot of the churches around here, they're, they're not speaking to these issues in the pulpit. So if you by chance know anyone that's going to a church that's not speaking this, these issues, you need to call these pastors to repentance. They have to be edifying the saints. That is our job to be equipping the people of God to be able to fight this fight. Um, you know, like, like Jeff Durbin always says, my old pastor, the culture around us is the report card of the church. How are we doing? It's culture of death that we're seeing around us. I'll just leave you with, with this here because um, I'm starting to run out of time here. Charles Spurgeon says, the Prince of Preachers, he says, a church that does not exist to reclaim heathenism, to fight evil, to destroy error, to put down falsehood, a church that does not exist to take the side of the poor, to denounce injustice and to hold up righteousness is a church that has no right to be. So let's go ahead and remember those um, powerful words from the Prince of Preachers. And if you guys want to know more about um, End Abortion Now or how to start your own abortion mill ministry, if you guys want to come out with us, just touch, just check it out. Um, come out for 10 minutes, you know, just see what we do out there. Um, there's a lot of misconceptions on what we actually do out the, at the abortion mill. Um, you can talk to Will as well. He can get you involved. Um, just come out there. Just observe what we do. You can just even just come out to pray. You know, we would just love to have that. Um, just see what we do. And, and like I said, let's, let's get involved back into this culture. Let's get involved. Let's, let's make sure we're holding our state representatives to account to God and God alone. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for just for this wonderful opportunity to, uh, to, to be here, Lord, that we got to preach your word. Please continue to strengthen us in these days to come, Lord, these dark days to come. Help us to be the salt and light for you. Help us to glorify you and to expand your kingdom with the gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.